the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts. Welcome to the program, and joining us today in studio, we have a very special guest. He is Senior Pastor of Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. You know him as a best-selling author, Bible teacher. He speaks frequently at conferences across the country. He's got some uh, pretty famous theological family roots, too, but we'll talk more about that later as we get a chance to meet Pastor Brian Loritz. And Pastor Brian, great to have you with us today. Always a joy to be here in the studio with you. Thanks for having me. Let's spend some time first, kind of um, take a look at where things are at, what God's doing in your life these days, uh, your... Almost a year here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, so a couple weeks ago marked one year of actually living here. I actually commuted for four months every weekend from New York City here. Well, that's painful. To preach at the church. <laughs> I racked up the frequent flyer miles. Yes, Boy, that was sir. a that was a tough season. So yeah, at the church about a year and a half, living here about a year. And over the course of the last little more than three years, we were talking about this off the air. Talk about a bit of culture shock. So you went from pastoring a very large, successful church in Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis Fellowship. And from there, you were called to Trinity in New York City. Right. Very different. Down in the south. Now right. you're on the eastern right. seaboard. Right. Right. You're there for a while doing your thing. Right. God says, got another plan. Right. And ends up calling you to the west coast in Silicon Valley. Now, I... Other than maybe a stop off in Alaska, right, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that you could get any more diverse in terms of the differences of experiences and and and, and climates, both literally and spiritually. Right. How has the transition between those three? been from a pastoral standpoint and a family standpoint? Well, I just got to tell you, from a pastoral standpoint, the transition from Memphis to New York felt a lot more abrupt. I mean, those are two starkly different places, right? Memphis is the Bible Belt. I could get up on Sunday and say things like, well, you, you remember the story of Daniel or whatever. Couldn't say that in New York and for sure can't say that in the Bay because you're, you're not dealing with people who, for the most part, are coming from a churched background which I personally enjoy that. New York and the Bay have a lot of similarities. Uh, New York City, where our church was, I mean, I would look out, and there, you know, there's a person who has got an M- MBA from Harvard and another person, PhD from Princeton, so on and so forth, the movers and the shakers. In Silicon Valley, I feel the same way at our church. Tons of people coming from Stanford, tons of people who've got Ivy League education, Stanford education, and they're here, and they're kind of the cream of the crop professionally, the best of the best. New York, what I felt, though, was, even though it's a primarily secular place, if I'm talking to someone about Jesus, I could always count, hey, I grew up Catholic or whatever. Here, I don't feel that at all. I mean, it is... It is a whole bunch of what they now call nuns, N-O-N-E-S, where there is no religious background, no religious affiliation. And, of course, I'm painting with a broad 
brush. The other thing that shocked me, Mondays here, I go out and play golf, and I normally get paired up with somebody. I go out by myself. And it's been a couple rounds. I've got paired up with 30-something-year-old retirees hmm. who did the startup, sold it, cashed out, and now 32, 33 years old on the golf course every day. I mean, that's – I'm not going to say that's common here in the Bay, but I've definitely seen that a lot more here than anywhere else. How does it feel from a pastoral standpoint to work through that paradigm shift where – as you point out, in an area like Memphis, Tennessee, where you are largely preaching to people that have a long, deep association with the church, they grew up in the church, their families always attended church, going back generations, so they are deeply rooted in God's Word, um, they're long-term, long-haul Christians, whereas you might be exposed to people in both New York City and certainly here on the West Coast, folks that, as you say, are, are nuns. Right, right, this right. is a new experience right, for them. Right. There is no point of spiritual reference and and as a result perhaps I would imagine that the teaching from the pulpit then takes a bit of a, a shift from what is maybe largely discipleship training shepherding to maybe a bit of an evangelistic flavor to what you teach so yeah n- now we're getting to what we would call contextualization and so what that means is look the message never changes right the gospel is the gospel the good news is the good news the fact that jesus christ died in her place and for our sins i mean we don't fool with that but how you communicate that uh, the various contexts you present that in not only should that change that must change so I always, I always tell people, it's almost like um, if, you, if you read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 17 back to back, something very interesting. In both those, the Gospels presented. Acts 2, Peter gets up, uh, unfolds the scroll. His text is really Joel chapter 2. Uh, but his audience is a primarily Jewish one on the day of Pentecost. So he's able to work a text of Scripture, present the Gospel, boom, thousands of people get saved. Acts chapter 17, Paul's on Mars Hill. There is no unfolding of the scripture. In fact, um, his entree into sharing the gospel happens by looking at an altar dedicated to an unknown God. So, but he gets finished, people get saved. So both get to the gospel, they just come at it from completely different ways. Why? Because they've got different contexts. Acts 17 is not Jewish. I mean, these are, these are Gentiles. And so Paul just takes a different approach. I would say to be successful here in the Bay, and I'm still learning what that is, but to me it feels like you've got to have more of an Acts 17 approach here than you do down south in Memphis, where I could have an Acts chapter 2 approach. But in both cases, you're still getting to the gospel. And in both cases, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about discipleship, it's about planting seeds, it's about helping young believers mature deeply in their walk with Christ. Um, and certainly always, I think, with a sense of uh, sensitivity toward those who may be in church on that Sunday for whom this is the first-time experience, or maybe they are disenfranchised. Maybe they had an experience with church years ago, maybe in their childhood. Something happened that said, mm, you know what, I don't like all this church and religious stuff. Right. They went off, did their thing for a season. Now maybe they're in their 30s. They've got children. They're thinking about, well, we'd like to have our kids have some sense of spiritual upbringing. And so now we're going to kind of put our toes back in the water again. 
And in a larger church like Abundant Life, I think maybe it feels a little bit safer. Yeah, sure. Too, because they're coming in from, as you say, you're surrounded by not only brilliant minds, but some of the best names in the computing and technology yep. industry yep. in the world. Google and Facebook and Apple, all those campuses literally surround yep. the area where the church is planted. So a lot of that comes into, I would imagine, um, preaching with an eye toward not just discipleship, but always mindful that there are those inside of that audience that don't have yet a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And so my assumption has got to be that there are people there who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In fact, if I don't make that assumption, I'm wondering if I'm doing ministry well here in the Bay. So I've I've got to do that. So now that, that, that colors and that shapes everything you know um you know so, so some of the some of the shocking things since since being here but it's wonderful that 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 makes me go okay i got to be careful about assumptions you know i i had a guest coming to the church one time and they wanted a third option where on the on the connect card they just felt like male female excluded them so we want a third option all right so i'm not going to tell you what my decision was on that but I would never get that question in Memphis. Mm-mm. So, you know, I can't get up and, and give insider talk. I mean, Luke chapter 5, Jesus says it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's those who are sick. And I haven't mm-hmm. ca- come to call the righteous, but I've, I've come to call sinners. And so trying to build a robust, inclusive atmosphere that welcomes everyone but doesn't compromise on the standard. That's, that's tough. Is this, at least in relationship to New York City, familiar territory in that you're also preaching and teaching to a a fairly blended congregation that kind of looks like the United Nations? Yes. I mean, so one of the things that attracts me to Abundant Life, you know, one of the hallmarks of my ministry, what I feel called to is, you know, I read chapters like um, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7. John talks about, I looked up into heaven. I saw people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then I link that up with what Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I go, fundamentally, to be a Christian means um, I should be a part of bringing heaven to earth. And as a pastor, that means, man, if there's diversity in heaven, I want to see that happen now. Like, I don't want to wait till I die to experience that. So that was a huge selling point uh, for our family coming to abundant life because we just feel like wherever the Lord leads us, either it needs to already be multi-ethnic or it needs to be fertile ground for us to push towards multi-ethnicity. Uh, and so and so that was great. But, see, I, I just think, I, I also like the nuances there. I, I also like what the Bay has to offer um, as far as differences of people. And those differences aren't just ethnic differences. You know, so there's political differences. There's uh, all kinds of ways of viewing and approaching things. So how can we keep the main thing the main thing and still give people latitude? To, see, we like to clone each other in our own image. Mm-hmm. And and so i got to figure out what's essential and what's non-essential. And don't let what is non-essential to be divisive. Uh, I mean, this presidential election, the head of Trump's campaign for Santa Clara County is a member of Abundant Life. Wow. <laughs> now there's some diversity for you. Yeah, so that's uh, you got to work through all that, and we got to say keep your political convictions, 
Um, we want you to have them, but we can't allow you to be divisive. And that goes on either side. We are pleased today in studio with us, Pastor Brian Lourdes. He is Senior Pastor at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View, a vibrant, growing church community planted right in the heart of Teslaville. I love that. <laughs> and uh, Brian, give us a little bit of an update in terms of just what's going on in the life of Abundant uh, Christian Fellowship. And uh, you've got a very special Global Leadership Summit coming up that's part of an event that's going to be telecast all across the nation. I think about 600 congregations are going to simultaneously be participating in this August 10th and 11th. Tell us more about that. Yeah, in general, there's some great stuff happening at the church. We just launched our new website, launched our new app. Uh, You can go to our website, ALCF.net. Part of that is we just launched live streaming on Sunday. Uh, We always encourage people to go to church, go to church, go to church. We want you to physically be there, but some of you travel and you're out of town tough schedules, whatever, and so you can live stream us that way. Um, We did a wonderful series this past spring that you can catch on the app called What Does God Have to Say About Friday Night? It was a great series on dating, Mm. strong momentum, strong feedback on that, and then this Sunday I'll start a series walking through the Gossip, uh, walking through the book of Joshua. Um, and then, you know, a couple years ago, I was invited to speak at the Global Leadership Summit. I had never been before. And I was completely blown away. Uh, at that time, it was simulcasted to over a quarter million people around the world. Wow. And it was unbelievable. They've got all these satellite locations where people can come, and it's the best leadership thing out there. Um, and it's not distinctly Christian. Of course, there are some pastors who speak at it, uh, and some of the leaders, like Bono it was one of the leaders who spoke at it, who, who do profess faith in Jesus Christ. But uh, the COO of uh, Facebook's one of the speakers this year, and other world-class leaders. So I want to encourage you, bring your teams, your teams from work. Uh, our location is one of the satellite lo- locations. You will learn incredible principles on leadership from world-renowned leaders and speakers speakers in the field. Uh, it, it's it's probably one of the best uh, investments of your time and money that you'll make. All and year. are we talking about multiple tiers here? And I ask that question because I think of the caliber of some of the leaders that you're talking about. If you're going to sit down and listen from the CEO of Facebook, you're going to hear some great stuff. You're going right. to hear some unique stuff. Uh, but then I wonder, is it also applicable not only to someone who comes in who says, hey, I'm a middle manager at my job. I'd like to learn how to become a better leader of the people that are under me. Does this also include people that are involved in church leadership? Yeah. As well as, well, let's face it, if you're a head of a household, yep. you're the leader of your family. That too? Yes to all of it. Leadership is leadership, uh, and that's why I think the best way to take advantage of this is to come with friends, come with a team, and then you get to process that. L- like anything else, you know, you'll listen to a speaker and you just eat the meat, throw away the bones, uh, and you'll have to sift through some things. But I think every single speaker, which is going to talk about an aspect of leadership, you'll find something incredibly valuable that you'll be able to take away from your various spheres of influence. You know, I, I need to be a better leader as a husband, as a parent, as a as a pastor. Um, so I need to be able to to just sharpen those tools in my box. Opportunity here, perhaps, uh, Pastor, to also do a little bit of uh, what should we call it, stealth evangelism. 
by that I mean for the friend, the cubicle uh, partner, uh, co-worker who you've shared Christ with, who has largely been uh, off-put by the notion of showing up to your church on Sunday morning, but hey, would you like to come to me, come with me to a leadership conference? And by the way, the COO of Facebook's going to be one of the keynoters, might uh, might tear down some walls and open up some doors of opportunity. Absolutely. So a lot of these, you hit the nail on the head, a lot of these people won't won't come to a church service, but they'll feel far more comfortable uh, coming to a church to hear leadership principles, and then hopefully some seeds will be sown, and you can have some great water cooler conversations afterwards. That is the real hope. Let me mention again for listeners that uh, the event's going to be taking place uh, two days, August the 10th and 11th at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. And you can get more information on the web at alcf.net. That's alcf.net. Right now, we're going to give away a pair of tickets to callers number 11 and 12 at 888-367-5329. That's 888-367-5329 or 888-F-O-R-K-F. F-A-X. And again, the dates are August 10th and 11th at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View, 8.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. daily. Details again on the web at alcf.net. What's coming up book-wise, project-wise, anything in the in the offing at this point? We talked about uh, one of your more recent books, Saving the Saved. Anything on the horizon we can look forward to? Y- you and my agent must be talking. <laughs> <laughs> He's wondering. It's always about what have you done for me lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, to be honest with you, uh, at this phase of my life, so yes, I want to get around to writing some some good book stuff. I, I actually want to write a book um, on, on manhood, fatherhood especially, just some great lessons I learned from uh, what I regard to be the greatest dad ever, my dad, Crawford Loritz, and uh, in a very practical way, would love to share that. There's some other projects on my heart. Uh, but in this season of my life, I'm just committed to just diving into the community at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, loving on these people well, walking with them, casting vision, and I wanted to devote this first stretch of ministry in this context completely to that. Well, and it's a big transition time for you, too, as we mentioned. Uh, you've gone from Memphis to New York yeah. to now Silicon Valley and uh, and three teenage boys, and so there's a little bit of a, an adjustment there for them, too, is there not? Pray for me. Yeah. <laughs> Bigger adjustment for dad, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, somehow, somebody got to pay for these well, groceries, you, you, too. You've, you've got a, a wealth of information, though, available uh-huh. uh, at your fingertips through your dad. Uh, uh-huh. For listeners, uh, uh-huh. Dr. Crawford Loritz uh, is Brian's father. You had four kids growing up in the family, you uh-huh. and three siblings. Yeah. And I, I bet dad can share an insight or two, especially when it comes to raising PKs. Oh, my goodness, yes. Absolutely he can. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's the old Mark Twain quote. He said something to the effect of, you know, when I was 13, my father was the dumbest person in the world. When I was 21, I was uh, shocked at how much he had learned. You know, um, the older I get, the more I appreciate him. And uh, the more, you know, your 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 parents... At first, they're your hero, and then, then then you get to a certain age, and you just kind of you see some chinks in the armor, like all of us have. Then you go through a period of disillusionment. Well, then you rise back out of that, and you go, "I'm in a season of parenting right now, and if I could do half the job they did, uh, I'm really blessed to have two parents. They just celebrated 46 years of marriage, uh, loved the Lord deeply, modeled Christ authentically before us, 
and uh, grateful. For you, uh, pastoring, was this a normal part of the anticipated trajectory for your life, having grown up in a pastor's so, home? I, I would say, so my dad just became a pastor in 2005. Before that, he was a traveling evangelist with Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. Um, so dad was really good. He, he actually pushed me the other way. He, he was so, son, do the will of God. Trust me, you don't have to do what I do. Um, that it almost felt like it was a letdown when I came to him and said, <laughs> Guess what? you know, I feel like God's calling me to do this uh-huh. because he had so didn't want to push me towards that at all. Uh, but once he saw that, he became, you know, one of my greatest resources. Uh, Dad would never offer, he would never offer free advice uh, once I became an adult. Uh, if I wanted some mentoring or coaching on something, he would, I would have to ask him for it and he'd step in. And, Which is probably a good thing. Yeah, from, from, absolutely. You know, there are times in, in one's career, so to speak, as a parent where interjecting yourself, sometimes with more frequency than you'd like, is quite necessary. But you also have to be wise, know when to kind of pull back and, and I guess to a degree also let a child make their own mistakes, stumble occasionally, even though it might be painful to watch that happen. And a lot of that also comes out of the deference of the notion that God doesn't have any stepchildren. Right. So the key word there is once I became an adult. Um, So once I graduated from college, I mean, that's the approach Dad took. Prior to that, it was, I mean, he spoke into everything. (laughs) A tight ship, in other words. Yeah, yeah. But I think Dad recognized to a young adult, unsolicited advice, we tend to hear it as not good enough. And I think Dad really wanted to be sensitive to that. And he was almost too standoffish. But if there's an extreme, I prefer that extreme than the other way. Um, But, man, I'm just beyond blessed, beyond blessed and grateful to have the parents that I do. As you look down the road now, and again, you've been through big transitions over the last three years from a geographic and ministerial standpoint, um, and you've obviously focused a lot now on the raising of your three kids uh, with your wife, Corey, and um, raising of the church and all that God has to do there. Um, where do you see your ministry headed in the next five to ten years? That's an interesting question. You know, um, in my 20s and 30s, I'm 44 now, in my 20s and 30s, I felt like I was climbing Mount Significance. And, you know, size, size of churches meant way more to me than what it should have. Uh, how many preaching engagements I had meant way more to me than it should have. You know, but I think once you kind of check those boxes and you go, yeah, God was gracious, started a church in Memphis, 26 people, got up to over 2,000. I don't feel like I've got anything to prove. Mm. Now, I don't want to picture myself as not having an ego. Of course I have an ego. Of course I struggle with pride. But I just feel a level of ministerial contentment here. Uh, I want Abundant Life to be all that God's called her to be. But my appetite isn't so much for addition, it's for multiplication. So if we could just, if all we did was one service, but we planted a bunch of churches around the bay, we raised up the next generation of leaders, we made disciples, equipped them and unleashed them to represent Christ in all their spheres of influence, I'm good with that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I I, I 
it makes me reflect back on a conversation I had with a pastor in China a number of years ago. And, of course, uh, China, one of the hotbeds of, of the growth of the, of the body of Christ, uh, some of the unofficial numbers suggest that 10, maybe 15,000 people a day are coming to Christ. And when you look at the degrees of, of persecution from a societal standpoint, from an institutional standpoint, governmental standpoint, being a Christian in China is serious business. And we, we, we met a pastor at one point on a visit to China a number of years ago, and we got to talking about this topic of, of church growth. And there were a number in our group that were very fascinated and, you know, we can take back some nuggets that we can share with our congregations and our listeners to talk about a new dynamic, some new insight when it comes to church growth. And we met this one pastor and he talked about, he pastored a number of congregations in different areas and done a lot of church planting. And he talked about this notion of multiplication. And he said, well, you know, the church today is about 250. Next year we expect it to be 500. Two years from now, 1,000. And as he talked, I noticed either the translator's making a mistake here or he's effectively talking about the church doubling every year. Well, wait a minute now, boy. This is a thing even Bill Hybels doesn't know about. So we immediately <laughs> began to grill him on, well, what's the plan? What's the scheme here? What, what, what's the program that's in place for this incredible degree of church growth that you're talking about here? No, no congregation expects to double every year. And he basically distilled it down to this. Each one tells one. He said, we charge every new believer in a concentrated effort of discipleship so that every new believer has someone that is coming alongside them um, in that role. And as they mature in their relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we encourage them to win one for Christ. And along those lines, if through the course of a year, each one tells one and wins one, this church will double every year. Yeah. And I thought... Well, that explains how 12 guys got this thing to just explode Absolutely, over 2,000 years ago. It also demystifies this notion and takes the stress off. We're oftentimes so worried about the numbers that we think there's some complex formula we need to use, when in fact it's pretty basic. It's just if you can share your faith with one person and win them for Christ or plant the seed and somebody else comes along and waters in a third harvest, however it works – but if you can successfully do that in a year, then we could see the church absolutely explode, couldn't we? Especially in the context of the Bay, right? Oh, Where I mean, talk about mission field opportunity. I, I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned four percent going to church. <laughs> so what, what am I going to do? Fight with the other churches over the four percent? You got to be focused on the unchurched, absolutely. And we have an opportunity, amazingly so, here in the Bay Area to literally reach the globe because of the, the dynamic of the makeup of all of the tribes and tongues, you used the word tribes earlier, yeah. that are represented here. Just imagine now the ability to reach someone of the 96% that are unchurched, yeah. and that person then wins their family, and then their family wins family back at home, yeah. wherever home happens to be on whatever continent that is, yeah. God could conceivably use a region like the San Francisco Bay Area in a very powerful means to reach the globe for Christ. As much as we take all the bangs and knocks for being, you yeah. know, crazies and political wackos and everything else that we, we oftentimes get accused of, most of it's probably true, yeah. at the end of the day, talk about an exciting place and time to live as believers. Absolutely. 
Well, Brian, we sure appreciate you coming in and sharing today and wish you much continued success at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And if you've liked what you've heard today, we'll mention, by the way, we'll reprise a portion of this conversation tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Pastor of the Week. And then a complete sermon will be featured on Sunday by Pastor Brian Loritz at 12 noon on our Church of the Week. Of course, you're invited any Sunday to come check out Abundant Life Christian Fellowship located in Mountain View. It's very convenient to all of the Bay Area. And you can get details, directions, and more information at alcf.net. That's alcf.net. Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me, and also thanks for hosting our radio program on your show. Pleased to have you as part of the KFAX family. Be sure to catch the broadcast, Inspired to Live, weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX. Thank you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information about this week's highlighted ministry is available at kfax.com. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.